Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Greatest of All Talk. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, live from Tokyo, it's 1 a.m. in D.C., it's 1 p.m. where you are, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Actually, strike that. It's all up for Giannis, (laughs) Inc. 50 points in a closeout Game 6 victory for the Milwaukee Bucks' first title in 50 years. Milwaukee goes down 0-2 in the series. Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Pat Connaughton, and Bobby Portis, and maybe even Brooke Lopez are all now Wisconsin legends forever. A beautiful scene on the court. Giannis, in tears, goes straight to hug his mother first. He holds that trophy high, that Bill Russell Finals MVP trophy that we knew was his destiny, Andrew. This is years of Giannis Inc. brainwashing for us in the making. This is a prophecy fulfilled. And you're probably sitting there thinking, what a great night. I'm here in D.C. I saw an absolute winner reach Mm. the mountaintop. How can this get any better for me? I'm sure you're asking yourself that in the middle of a pitch black room, nearly 2 a.m. And guess what, Andrew? I have great news for you. What? The Giannis Inc. board has met. We're putting all of our squabbles. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) We're putting all of our squabbles behind us, Andrew. And guess what? You are officially inducted back and Giannis Sink, congratulations. I'm sure that feels wonderful. And guess what, though, Andrew? All 8 billion people on planet Earth and Jeff Bezos circling the Earth as we speak are also inducted into Giannis Sink because he was always for the globe. He yep. was always for every single person out there. This was not something that we should have been keeping from anyone, and certainly not you, an often devoted follower. So, Andrew, welcome back to the fold. <laughs> often devoted. Look, I'm the guy who picked Giannis to go out and do this, okay? That's number one. There was some waffling along the way, but I feel good about it. And I honestly, I'm reluctant to get into too much banter because it was such a special night from Giannis that it feels like the moment is bigger than your bickering and my bickering. I mean, it was just like a beautiful scene that was genuinely moving at the end of that game. And to watch Giannis come through the way he did, like I'm sitting here on my end of the line, I'm a little bit emotional watching all of this actually happen. How did you experience it? completely gobsmacked are you kidding me first of all i thought he was done for the season when he got injured you know and like the whole time going into the finals i'm thinking keep the pressure off this guy like don't heap the expectations all the haters are going to come out of the woodwork if he can't play or he's trying to play through injury and he's not up to snuff the first couple of games is he looking right is he having the impact what's going on and he just got better and better and better over the course of that series and having a bigger and bigger and bigger impact over the course of that series. And he saved his best for last. Milwaukee came out of the gates pretty choppy. So did Phoenix. And the Suns actually took control of game six for a pretty decent stretch there. There was one person keeping them in that game, 
for oh like God. the first three quarters, and it was Giannis, and he was doing it every possible way. I understand people want to say, oh, he's just this physical person. And I, I gave you my take on how he's not just the next Shaq, right? He's got a lot of Duncan in him. He's got a lot of Michael Jordan willpower to him, yes. right? He's got a lot of stepping up, reading situations, making the right pass at the right time to him as well. He's got some absolutely clutch genes. The free throw shooting, Andrew. And that's part of it. This is almost too good of a story to even be true, Right. I mean, his biggest flaw, his Achilles heel. Here's Achilles completely saying, my heel's fine, bro. I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even miss free throws anymore. I mean, this 17 is of 19 from the line, 50 points, 14 rebounds, and five blocks. What an insane line to close out your first finals and win your first title. I mean... No, he's Holy taking shit. Greek gods. He's taking Greek gods and he's one upping them. He's like, Oh, you've got a flaw. <laughs> I don't have any flaws. How's that feel, Achilles? Good luck. I mean, look, it's incredible what he did. Um, I thought Phoenix showed a lot of gumption, frankly, in game six, considering the circumstances. It wasn't a beautiful game from them, but they held up pretty well. But it they didn't fought. matter. Yeah. It did not matter. He rose to the occasion, and I think he deserves all the comparisons right now. Mike. LeBron, I mean, whoever you want to say, there are only seven (laughs) players. There are only seven players in NBA history to put up 50 points in a finals game. He did it in the closeout game. He did it when they absolutely needed it. He did it to fulfill an eight-year journey that he built up step by step by step. And he did it at DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker's expense. Give him every flower, Andrew. Mm, Give him his flowers. Yes, well, that's what most of this podcast will be. And I know I promised I was going to respect the moment. I do have two items to address before we move on to the questions because we got a bunch of good questions over the past few days. Number one, this title You can admit, I mean, you don't have to admit, you're an objective journalist. I will just say this was a thousand times cooler than another LeBron title or another super team title here or there. This is one of my favorite titles in a long time, and it was really cool to watch it all come together with Middleton stepping up, Drew Holiday stepping up, Giannis turning into a goddamn superhero over the last 10 days. Like, All of it was just really, really special. And tonight it felt like we were watching NBA history unfold in real time. So that's that's because you were, Andrew. You didn't feel like it. It It is. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like I had chills in the fourth quarter because he just kept hitting shots that even for Giannis were sort of outside his range. Like he was hitting some runners in the lane and stuff like that. And it was just, it was special. Number two. Don't we have to rethink what is his range? What are his limits? Doesn't this open up every possibility right now? I mean, I'm never going to forget that that stretch, especially the second half when they were wavering, and then he exerts control over the game. Like you mentioned, on both ends, some of those block shots were big block shots. Some of those rebounds were big rebounds, and all the baskets, and, and even just the relentless drives of the hoop to get himself to the foul line and deliver, he was absolutely everywhere that's that's what i'm saying i'm not saying look he's on jordan's level i'm not saying he's on lebron's level from a career standpoint but we were talking about an individual game delivering in the clutch when it matters he's that's a top shelf 
performance. And I'll never forget, we're like hunched over this laptop with some stream, you know, coming back from like 10,000 miles away, 13 time zones away from where this thing is taking place in this little cubicle of the main press center at the Tokyo Olympics. I'm never going to forget it, Andrew. And it's unbelievable. And I could tell you, I missed the block on DeAndre Ayton in game four. I missed the Giannis Eliup finish in game five. And I missed the crowning achievement in game six. And yet I have zero FOMO because I, I know deep in my heart, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people over the last two weeks have been introduced to Giannis in a way that they were not aware of before. And yep. this thing is going to the freaking moon, man. Giannis Inc., it cannot be stopped. Yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy. Um, another item I want to get out of the way at the top, I finished second in our bracket group. How? Yeah. How did anyone beat you? I thought you had a perfect bracket. It was nearly perfect. Tatum is top five, uh, 12-time oh, no. Enterprises, won the GOAT bracket challenge with a score of 375. I finished second with 365, and I would have won. I had Sixers over Hawks in seven. So if the Sixers had handled their business, I would have won easily. Uh, alas, I now am as disgusted with the Sixers as you typically are. Yeah, no, and I mean, my my mind went a lot of places during that trophy presentation. I mean, of course, pride and, and happiness for Giannis and and understanding, you know, the family bonds. Now he gets to join Costas in the in the champion and the club of champions within his own family and Chris Middleton clutching that Larry O'Brien trophy and and never letting go. And I thought back on the years of of arguments with the Toronto Termites about Middleton versus DeRozan. And and that must have been a painful, painful L for those Toronto fans to swallow. And (laughs) here's Drew Holiday proving everybody wrong. But my mind also went to the Sixers fans. Boy, that is a tough one to take, isn't it? I mean, losing to the Atlanta Hawks. And then watching Giannis, I mean, come on. I remember some people on this show trying to tell me Joel Embiid was a better MVP pick than Giannis. That one didn't hold up. Well, uh, but, you know, for the, for the, the Sixers is. fans, for yeah. the Sixers fans, just a tough night. They didn't watch. You know, there's no way they watched that. Well, they also had to watch Drew Holiday, who was basically shipped out at the start of the process and cast aside. And uh, he was a championship level player for the majority of this series. There were some iffy moments, but he stepped up when it mattered. Here's a referendum question for you. Um, During the second round, I came away, and I think you agreed with me, saying that Kevin Durant was still better than Giannis head-to-head for that series. Katie outplayed him. Giannis even famously said, Katie is the best player in the world. We talked about if you switch Kevin Durant and Giannis, what does that series look like because of all the injuries on Brooklyn's side? Fast forward through that series that we just watched, through that Uh postseason run where Giannis goes like 30-13-5 for the entire playoffs. Are we having second thoughts? Are you saying now Giannis is better than Katie? Giannis is the best player alive? I was wondering how you were going to handle it when it's time to do the top 100 next season. I I think you're going to have to take a couple months to really think about this. But, I mean, it's tricky because Giannis got better as the the Nets series unfolded. And he's gotten better as these playoffs have unfolded. So, the conversations that we were having at the beginning of the Nets series... 
I think we're right at the time, but Giannis coming off this title is going to be more confident and more comfortable in his own skin as a player and is going to play to his strengths more than he was even at the beginning of these playoffs. And I think that evolution will probably make him at least on KD's level and and probably better, honestly. Like if I had to pick the number one player on next year's top 100, I know that's your job. I'll wait for the next edition of the Schmedium top 30 when next year's playoffs roll around. I would take Giannis at number one. Yeah, it's going to be a really, really tough call. But I mean, who do you trust now more over the course of an entire season when you're watching the full offense and defense impact from Giannis at the very highest level, as uh, people like to say in the finals, when you're watching him just absolutely undress DeAndre Ayton in this series? I mean, completely punked him, especially over the last three games. Um, and sending Phoenix scrambling for answers defensively that they could just never find. Phoenix was a really good defensive team throughout this postseason. They had nothing that they could do with Giannis in that situation. It's tough. I mean, head-to-head, I do still think, you know, Katie was better in that series. Um, and, you know, some people might say, well, look, Milwaukee's uh, uh, supporting cast was underrated. Look how well they held up when Giannis was out for two games. But then you have to counter and say, where would they have been in the finals without Giannis? How quickly does that thing end in Phoenix's favor? Um, It's tough, man. But right now, when you're saying Giannis's leadership, the versatility on the defensive end, the ability to play in big lineups, small lineups, the mid-range shooting that was so important for Milwaukee time and time again over these last couple of rounds – um, the defense in space against Smalls, uh, yeah. the finishing ability around the hoop. I mean, obviously, if, if he shot 17 for 19 on, on free throws every night, there really wouldn't be a conversation. I mean, that is a, a flaw, but man, there's an awful lot of strengths that you have to weigh that against. It's it's big time from him. I mean, defensively, he was the most dominant player on the floor for either team in every game that was played this series. And as as helpless as the Suns looked trying to guard Giannis, there were also long stretches of this series where the Suns looked pretty helpless on offense and basically ran out of options beyond asking Booker to play Luka ball for like entire quarters and entire halves. And uh, a lot of that. Luka still passes. He can still win games when he scores 42. We can discuss Book at the end of this podcast. Well, it's tricky because... You know, the book lost his cover multiple times. I mean, that thing got ripped to shreds by P.J. Tucker (laughs) in game six, Drew Holiday in game five. I mean, just absolutely stripped naked on the court multiple times, lost the book. I mean, I'm surprised the spine is still intact, but the cover was gone. Um, No, let me ask you this. On a defensive impact standpoint, peak Draymond in the playoff runs for Golden State or Giannis 2021 playoffs? Um, individually, it might, it might be Giannis. It yeah, Giannis. Be, that's crazy. So now Giannis we're saying, okay. was everywhere for that entire game tonight, and really, like all of the Bucks wins, he was just doing everything for them on both ends. Um, I think Draymond does deserve a lot of credit because what he meant to that team defensively and the lineups he allowed them to play basically made them unstoppable for like several years there. So. I don't know how you factor that in, but I mean, Giannis was playing 5-2 and the Bucks were much better with him on, on the floor at the five and Brooke Lopez off. So 
Yeah, I mean, he was just like next level. So the next question would be, he is the best defensive player in the playoffs since Duncan? Uh, I, mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know, know who about else. that. Well, who else would you even throw into this mix? I mean, I mean honestly, Anthony he's, Davis. He's better than all the Heatles. Who? Anthony Davis. I, I mean, Anthony Davis was great in last year's playoffs, but didn't Giannis face much better competition? Um, I mean, in terms of individual players they had to go against? Yeah, I, I would say slightly better competition, but they were both at an A-plus level. I'm not going to choose between AD and Draymond and Giannis. The fact that he's even in that conversation speaks to how dominant he was on that end. And and again, the Suns just like couldn't score. In big moments throughout the past week of games, the Suns had run out of options. And, uh, and you look at the numbers for the series and offensively, Phoenix grades out pretty well uh, over the course of the last six games. But even like just watching some of these games as they unfolded, it didn't look like the same Suns offense we had seen for the past couple of rounds. Do you agree? I think they lost their swagger, and I put it mostly on Chris not being the same guy in the second half of the series. I think that a lot of their offensive players obviously are complimentary guys they're used to Chris setting the table they're used to Chris having a very high level of command getting really easy shots shooting the ball well from the mid-range and just orchestrating and Chris was not orchestrating whatsoever if he was he was off key or whatever musical slang you want to use um, in the last couple of games they just really never found that flow and I think that turned into a lot of guys kind of standing and watching or alternately just kind of pressing and and taking shots maybe they shouldn't be taking going a little bit outside their comfort zone I think you saw it with Aiden being like a total non-factor as we said all along his offense is derivative he's not a guy who you can just give the ball to and expect to carry you in any way as soon as Chris struggles boom immediately Aiden struggles right similar Mm -hmm. thing with their shooters as well and it did devolve too much into you know the Devin Booker show now I know Book was getting a lot of heat for maybe too much hero ball, not enough ball movement um, in games four and five. I don't necessarily hold that against him as much as some people did, but I do think that his weaknesses, as well as Chris's, got exposed as the series unfolded. I mean, you like to laugh anytime I bring up rebounding or defense or these little things that really don't matter to the bucket getters it's rebounding from the shooting guard position the only guards who really rebound like that are like russell westbrook luca piling up triple doubles that don't actually mean anything it's not about the numbers it's about the discipline how many points did he give to pat Connaughton over the course of this series off offensive rebounds not doing his job not being physical not being able to hold his spot it matters. Like, it, I mean, he needs to add like 20 pounds of muscle, honestly, if he wants to be like a big time two way player, if he ever wants to get there, because he just gets pushed around, bullied over. He tries to to compete, but he doesn't have enough physicality on that end to to really hold you know hold his spot. And mm-hmm. that mattered. Um, he was a part of their defensive struggles as well. Um, you know, he got lit up. Uh, you know, Milwaukee's perimeter players played much better down the stretch of the series um, than Phoenix's did. But um, I personally don't hold the shift towards martyr ball or whatever you want to call it against him. I just think that Chris wasn't the same guy. That was the turning point of the series from Phoenix's standpoint. Yeah, yeah. And Milwaukee was taking away a lot of what Phoenix likes to do, which is to hit guys in the corners and pile up corner threes. And 
that's really like their perimeter offense as far as three-point shooting is concerned. It's corner threes and threes in transition. Milwaukee's defense took away the corners and then they weren't turning the ball over and the Suns weren't getting stops, so there weren't many transition opportunities. And at that point, it was ultimately all on Booker to generate offense in the half court because Paul didn't show up until... I would say the fourth quarter of game five, he played okay in game six. Let's talk a little bit more about yeah, I mean, game six. He, like he had good numbers in game five too. I just didn't think he played that well in game five. In game six, he was never in control. He looked afraid to shoot at some key moments late, um, kind of ball stopping when the, the ball would kick around the perimeter to him. Um, I liked that he was at least he was getting in the lane though and was at least attacking and blowing by people and calling for screens and like creating something to make the Milwaukee defense uncomfortable Um, for a long time in like games four and five he was basically just taking what the defense gives him and not really forcing the issue at any point and it was Pretty strange to watch. We should double back and talk about CP at the end as well. Um, for well, now, so focus on a book. I mean, you know, I laid out my case against, you know, against him in terms of his weaknesses. How much of this series lost you put on the fact that he didn't have another level to get to? I mean, playing the book way did not work. Well, wait, wait, wait. Chris Paul is the one who didn't have another level to get to. Devin Booker raised his game and played really really well well enough to win if he had gotten more help in game four and game five i didn't love the way booker played the rest of this series i didn't love the way he played in game six i thought he, yeah, he ran out of gas didn't raise his game in game six I mean, no and, no and he didn't game five he got his number he wasn't that good in game five though i mean especially some of the decisions down the stretch down the stretch he should have pulled up at the foul line he had pj tucker off balance and he could have gotten the mid-range jumper, but he wanted to get something easier and he wanted to get toward the rim and maybe get fouled. And then he got into trouble and was basically triple teamed. Drew Holiday steals it from him. Drew Holiday was not fearing Chris Paul as a shooter. And maybe that's partly on Booker because they knew that he wasn't gonna pass in that moment either. I think Booker exposed the limits of Luca Ball and, uh, and he came out afterwards and said, yeah, we needed more ball movement. And and I think he will learn how to better balance the, the scoring and the passing responsibilities going forward. He'll also be more prepared for that end of game situation in game five and will pull up and take the mid-range jumper rather than trying to get something perfect. Like, don't yeah. let great be the enemy of good, I guess. That's not how that saying goes, but that's how he should have played it. Yeah, I mean, you're being really generous here for this guy. When do you think he's going to be back in the finals if they don't have Who's Chris Carey? No, 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 no. Who is I being don't, I don't generous? Ex- he just played his ass off for well, he played four hard. straight he didn't rounds. Play great. No, no, he played He played hard, but he did not play great in this finals. I'm sorry. And I don't think they're going to get back without Why Chris is Paul great operating the standard? at a high level. Hold on, hold on. Why, Why is, is great the standard? Because you're trying to tell me he's better than Luka. Luka would have played much better. Luka was having bad games in the first round on the way no, to a wasn't. first round exit. Yes, he was. We're not going to talk. You, you just said Booker's numbers in game five don't matter. 
So I would say go back and watch the tape and watch the way Luka managed some of the end of those games. He wasn't perfect, and Booker wasn't perfect either. He's 24 years old playing in his first finals ever. He brought the Suns to the finals. And so I am not going to focus on the negatives at the expense of saying, holy shit, this guy just showed up and really delivered in a playoff run where I wasn't entirely sure. Like I said at the beginning, and I think I said this after the Lakers series, I Booker, I believed in him, but I wasn't entirely sure he had it in him. And after the end of the he last didn't. four rounds, I'm, I'm sure he does. No, but oh. he showed enough to where I'm pretty confident in who he's going to be coming out of these playoffs. Yeah. And I think the, the parallel I would draw is actually Giannis because you could go back oh, and nitpick a lot of decisions that Giannis was making a couple years ago. And you could say, I don't know if he's really got it. And he, the, the, the leap that Giannis has made is that he's more comfortable and he is just smarter about the way he attacks. And we saw it all series long. And I think that there is still some growth there that Booker will have to navigate. Right, uh, but you've been telling me he's going to make this growth as a passing playmaker since he's 20 years old. This guy's 25. Giannis is 26. Giannis has improved so much more over the last five years as an all-round player than Booker has in terms of addressing his weaknesses. No. You try to use the word deliver for Booker, minus 15 tonight, 19 points on 22 shots, missed all seven of his three-pointers, didn't play defense, got five assists. Congratulations there. Committed six turnovers, though. That's not delivering. Come on. Well, I mean, wait, what do you mean? I said in, in across the playoffs, he's delivered. There's no argument there. And there were a bunch of people, yourself included, who said he's not a winning player. You can't win with Devin Booker. He's about his numbers. No. I think all of that was dispelled over the past few rounds. No. And at this Chris, point, he's playing Chris with Paul's house the, money. Chris Paul's the influencer. When Chris Paul play well, they they won series. Booker chipped in here or there as a complimentary oh, option. Oh my god! When Chris Paul what didn't a play well, wild take. Yeah, it's not a wild take. When Chris Paul didn't play well, their entire offense looked much different, and Booker Ball was not good enough to win at the very highest level. It just wasn't. Uh, he got his numbers. It did not translate. The lesson the lesson there is that that style of basketball isn't good enough for just about anybody to win with. The only player I would believe in playing that style would be Kevin Durant, and everyone else should use their teammates more. And I think some yeah, of it, I, I wanted well, Monty to be a little bit more creative with the offense. I'm not even <laughs> gonna put it all on Booker. I think they Man. all, as a team, just lapsed into some bad habits and got oh, away I mean, from I what made them good as an offense. I'm just saying, put a little bit of it on Booker. I mean, you're making it, you're putting it on everybody else. You put it on no. Chris, you put it <laughs> on Bonnie. I'm mean, just saying, put any portion of it on Booker. It's fine. I'm just saying that, look, if Chris is not going to be able to play as well as he did in the first three rounds of the playoffs, when you look at the number of breaks they had on that run, no AD, no Kawhi Leonard, no Jamal Murray. Uh, along the way these guys are not going to be able to play booker ball or hope that booker can kind of transform into a little bit better of a playmaker and make deep postseason runs i mean western conference finals and finals in the years ahead i just don't see that i think he's a very very talented and aesthetically pleasing scoring player to watch 
But that way is not going to work when you also don't play defense and you also don't rebound. You also don't do the little things. Don't you know, it's, oh my God. that's not going to competes that's not on defense. Drive. They were picking on Chris Paul, not they Devin were. Booker, by the end of that they series. Were. He competes on defense. And I, let me ask you: Are you more impressed with Devin Booker at the end of this playoff run than you were at the beginning? Well, of course, absolutely, because he had never done anything meaningful in his career before, and he just had the best six weeks or seven, eight weeks of his uh, of his uh, life. So, congratulations! But the same flaws that I've been harping on for six years all showed through when it really mattered, and. If he had addressed some of those flaws in previous years, if he had filled out the offensive game like I've been talking about, if he had improved himself as a defensive player, if you could use him on big-time matchups in key moments and actually have success, that would have won them the series. It was that close in games four and five, and he couldn't do that. I do agree with you that they started to really pick on Chris late in this series. He fell apart far more than I ever expected. We talked about some of the biggest surprises from Phoenix's side. You know, DeAndre Ayton playing out of his mind before the finals. Booker being able to handle some of the pressure in the in the postseason that we didn't really know about. Those were pleasant surprises. Chris going from an A-plus on the mastery level against Denver, and I thought a solid A as well against uh, the Clippers, to something closer to a C, and even worse than that by the end of the finals was not something that I saw happening. The primary reason why I picked the Suns to win the finals, other than trying to set up a perfect reverse jinx, which worked brilliantly, <laughs> yeah, which worked absolutely brilliantly, was trust in Chris Paul. And that trust to me right now feels completely misplaced. And again, I give him all, I've been giving him all the credit for the wins the whole way through. So when he plays poorly, I generally am gonna place the blame on him for the losses. And I think he deserves the blame for most of the last four losses from Phoenix's side. I'm just saying like Booker, you know, if he was really as good as you've been claiming, if he was really a Luka Doncic level number one talent, he would have been able to save the day and truly stop the bleeding with his teammates struggling. And he could. He was not quite ready for the moment in these finals. And to me, there's not any shame in that because Giannis is at the peak of his powers and Giannis is a much better player than he was a few years ago. And I believe in Booker's ability to get better after this experience and improve some of the areas that you're talking about, not necessarily rebounding from the shooting guard position, but I think making better decisions in some of these moments, including at the end of games. But I am uh, really, really impressed by everything this Phoenix team did. And I think the Bucks, the story of this series is that the Bucks were just amazing when it mattered including in game five when all three stars stepped up and then game six when Giannis played one of the greatest individual finals games in NBA history so um let's go back there I want to go to Ross here Ross says having experienced my best case scenario for this season Suns versus Bucks in the finals we're now on the brinks of we're now on the brink of the Bucks closing out my season. And while my allegiance will always lay with my Phoenix Suns, I've taken a rewatching the games to enjoy Giannis and the Bucks. Not just the block in game four or the infuriating slash magnificent lob at the end of game five, but his entire game. My greatest joy in this series is watching the maturation of our man Giannis. His ability to do whatever it takes, including feats of unmatched athleticism and willing his team over the finish line, it's all just fantastic. I know Chris is the closer, 
but our man is showing the world why we love him so much. I should be sad my sons are about to cough up a 2-0 lead, but I cannot look at Giannis and be anything less than elated. Now, Ben, first of all, I love that email from Ross because he's been a listener for several years now, longtime Suns fan. Only Suns fan we've ever heard of from 2016 through 2019. Ross exactly. was the only Suns fan. <laughs> he was the only one, and I think he deserves a ring. You know how they're going to probably give Tory Craig a ring? I think they should give Ross a ring. He would hit us up on the regular, so it was great to hear from Ross again. He also sent that email about 30 minutes before the opening buzzer of Game 6. And I got to tell you, I read that email as I was watching ABC's pregame show, reading tweets. The entire world was acting like Game 6 was about to be a coronation for Giannis and the Bucks, And basically, like, you had people already arguing about Giannis's place in history. And I was just getting bad vibes from all of it. Like, it felt like... Nobody was recognizing that the previous two games were really, really close. Milwaukee was getting performances from Middleton and Drew that they probably weren't going to get again in game six. And it was just like a really close series and nothing was a given in game six. Then they come out, have that second quarter, and it just felt like we were watching a bad movie unfold. And so I say all that only to say that I am so, so impressed and grateful that Giannis came out and just dominated the third quarter the way he did because they needed every bucket he gave them in those moments. No, I mean, you saw the tweets going around like, Milwaukee is like one for 11 shooting in the second quarter. That did not tell the full story because only like four of those shots even hit the rim. I mean, the shot selection and the execution of the shots during that stretch were just horrible. And it, well, I was right there with you. I mean, full disclosure, I'm still adjusting to kind of like time zones here in Tokyo and everything else. So I woke up at 4 a.m. bright and early. <laughs> I had I had planned to write a story immediately after the game. And instead, I was like, look, there's a pretty good chance the Bucks are going to do this. There's a pretty good chance this is going to be a signature night for Giannis, whether or not he plays well. The first title, age 26, all that stuff is worth a legacy conversation. So I started banging out a column and, you know, I'm a little delirious from the travel and all this other stuff. So I wasn't holding back. I mean, I think I compared, like I said, Jordan, LeBron, Hakeem Olajuwon, Dirk, Steph Curry, Shaq, Duncan. I was kind of trying to paint this picture of Giannis as a guy who sort of borrows uh, you know, little aspects of a lot of different great players, even though he's not like an all-time great at one particular skill, he mm-hmm. has filled out his game so well and he's able to kind of, you know, mimic what so many of these different legends do at a very high level and all in the same package. That's what makes him special is the versatility and the range and just kind of the position def- defying aspect to who he is, not to mention the leadership off court. Um that makes him truly special. So I was going down that rabbit hole from like 4 a.m. to like 7.30 a.m. this morning, banging that column out. And when I finished, I was like, yeah, you know, you you did Giannis right. Good job. You know, this is going to be a nice moment. And then I stopped to think like, wow, what have I just done? I walked over to the press center and immediately my colleague points out that coincidentally, I have a green shirt on. And I'm like, oh my God, I never wear green 
what are the odds here? How badly have I jinxed these Bucks? Am I going to be the reason why they're one for 11 in that second quarter? Thankfully, I didn't take my clothes off in public or try to do anything crazy to like, you know, get a rally going. Mm-hmm. Um, but the stakes were huge is my point. And there would have been massive amounts of blood on my hands had this thing <laughs> uh, gone the wrong way. But um, no, I, but- I'm right there with you. It was, it was in the balance there for sure. And the best part about it is that Giannis recognized that it was in the balance and that yeah. he made controlled and calculated decisions to yank that game back in Milwaukee's favor. And you were talking about the growth. Go back to the bubble. When he sensed that tension against the Miami Heat in the second round, he pressed, he ran into the wall, he committed turnovers, he committed player control fouls. He was overly aggressive, right? Not assertive. Here, he's forcing contact with Aiden. He's getting his, you know, Aiden's feet all crossed up in transition. He's going to that mid-range jumper as the bailout shot and actually hitting it. Um, He's making good passes, keeping his teammates involved, and again, encouraging people. I really think the mental stuff here matters a lot. Giannis's comments about staying in the moment, not letting ego from the past or pride from the future cloud your worldview. He has completely bought into that. That was one of the most brilliant riffs I have ever heard. Years ago, I told you that we needed to almost like force feed lines to Giannis so he'd be better for the media. Somebody got that message loud and clear because whoever helped him with that line and that mentality, uh, you know, deserves a gigantic Nobody raise. helped him. That's just who he is. But he decided to embrace the spotlight during these finals in a way that we hadn't really seen before. I mean... Mostly, I think it's just he was obligated to meet with reporters more often during this series. And when Giannis talks, he says stuff like that. And he's pretty authentic. And he's authentic in a way that certain other superstars aren't. And I think that resonates. Uh, I've never I've never heard him say something as genius as that in my life. I, I sat there watching that clip with my eyes wide open. I mean, I understand his general life philosophies. And I think he's about all the right things in, in a very Duncan-like manner. But the way he framed that, I was like, whoa. I well, mean, this is like high-level psychology. Like, he should be writing self-help books. But he's also self-deprecating. Like in the next answer, he was probably making fun of himself. And so that's part of what I enjoyed so much about these finals is he would go out and play the most badass game imaginable. And then in the post game, he'd be making fun of himself and calling himself a softy. And I think he said the word tinkle a couple times during a post game press conference. So. (laughs) It's just like no other player in the NBA. And uh, it was cool to see him put it all together. And to your point, the mental stuff is interesting to me because for years now, we've been hearing people say, oh, like Giannis needs to get a three-point shot. And then I would say Giannis needs to develop a mid-ranger. People are like, oh, Giannis has no hezzy, whatever it is. Um, Ultimately, the shifts that mattered for him were in how he approaches the game, how he handles adversity. And I hate to say it, but he was playing with a purpose in the second half. He came out instead of just going blindly to the rim. I do believe that he decided at halftime, I am going to get DeAndre Ayton into foul trouble and I'm going at his neck every time I have the ball until he's on the bench and I'm dealing with Frank Kaminsky on the other side. I think that was a strategy, and it was smart, and uh, it was cool to see him execute it. 
He absolutely played with a purpose. I'm so glad you phrased it that way because I was explaining what he was doing, but I forgot my own tagline. So that was absolutely true. The availability and the conditioning and the minutes was huge too. That was another big improvement. And we talked about the mental side, but being able to hold up and playing 40 plus to basically force Coach Bud's hands. No, it's true. To force Coach Bud's hand, one of the biggest adjustments. You remember last year during the bubble, we said this series goes different if Giannis averages 43 minutes. How many off seasons did I scream and say, this is how many minutes Mike played at Giannis's age. This is how many postseason minutes that LeBron played at Giannis's age. And Giannis had to earn those minutes. I mean, Coach Bud was really withholding them, but he showed a much better ability to play intelligently and with a purpose, even when he was fatigued and tired in this postseason compared to any other point during his career. And Mm -hmm. they got pushed to the limits. We saw Giannis gassed out a lot in this playoffs. He gave every last drop he had to give in the Brooklyn series. uh, And then coming back from the injury uh, against Atlanta as well in the finals is just crazy. I still cannot believe he did all of that after that injury. Go back and watch that injury right now and then tell yourself like three weeks later, he had 50 points in a closeout finals win, dude. It's nuts. (laughs) It's so nuts. If there's one skill that's gotten better in addition to the way he's approaching these games, I do think he's a much better passer than he was a few years ago. And he made the right decision between attacking and passing almost every single time throughout this series. And uh, that was just impressive to watch. And just big picture, while we continue the Giannis fawning, the route he took to this title is pretty nuts because he went through and like vanquished last season's ghost, dominated Bam out of bio. He went through Kevin Durant and no bag Twitter all at once in the second round. He should have gone through Joel Embiid and the Sixers, but the Sixers were such frauds that they cost me my Jim Boylan Memorial GOAT playoff bracket challenge. No, you you win it this year. I mean, look, after your previous performances, like you improved by so much, like completely out of nowhere, that we're going to give you the, the, the championship. <sighs> I mean, 12-time yeah. Tatum, we'll give him a separate trophy. Maybe it'll be like Middleton gets the championship trophy, Giannis holds the finals MVP. Maybe we can <laughs> kind of like share it some way, but I, I'm going to give it to you this year. I mean... The the, uh, the path that you've gone on in our bracket challenges is almost as impressive as Giannis's path, frankly. It's pretty wild across the board. Uh, all right, a couple, one more question on Giannis before we hit some of these other Bucks topics. Um, Swaggy Yamama uh, emails us and says, so I've noticed that not many NBA players have been acknowledging Giannis's amazing play in the finals. The closest we got was Dame tweeting out this vanilla tweet saying that block by Giannis might have won them the game. What do you guys think about this phenomenon? Have you seen this, Ben? What do you think? That block might have won them the game. Are you kidding? I mean, he had three uh, forced turnovers in basically a two-minute stretch to create seven points going the other way, and the block was one of them. Hold on. Um, Just, Just for the record, though, we shouldn't bury how amazing Chris Middleton was when Giannis needed him, including in that game where the block became the story, but Middleton was like out of his mind to get them that win. Totally true. Um, but look, I mean, defense wins championships. and Giannis was doing it in that game in a big time way. Um, no, this phenomenon is true. 
Giannis has never tried to cultivate friends among his superstar peers, and he's also really avoided lots of rivalries um, so that there's never been a, a really an opportunity for where you needed to like pick sides and have some of his uh, you know, colleagues you know, take his side. The only time he's re- really gotten in a back and forth was that short beef with Harden. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that everybody, no one wants to take Harden's side, so all other players just checked out of that one entirely, and they're like, "No, we're, we we don't care. We're uh, we're all gonna act like Switzerland here and just not uh, you know not even engage." I think some of it is that Giannis just accomplished something that an awful lot of high level players were not able to do. He won it at home without ever leaving, without forming a super team. That's really hard to do. I mean, Steph Curry never left. Um, he, he gets that credit. Uh, Tim Duncan did it almost immediately. Uh, Michael Jordan, obviously. Uh, but as the main guy to lead a, a complete franchise turnaround, hardly ever happens. I mean, Kobe, uh, Dwayne Wade, those guys won titles, but they had big time help. You know, Shaquille O'Neal shows up for Dwayne Wade. Uh, you know, Kobe Bryant was riding shotgun for the first three titles. Uh, LeBron had to go to Miami to win his title. Kevin Durant had to go to Golden State to win his title. I think that's a cause of jealousy. Uh, you know, it, it's also, you know, to a certain degree where Giannis isn't as polished as a lot of those players. So he's doing it in a different manner. These guys are saying, I've got a deeper bag. You know, I've got a better jump shot. Uh, you know, Giannis isn't, um, you know, as skilled, quote unquote, as I am. And and so I think that's where when you have success, uh, you know, so relatively early in the career and in such a unique way as Giannis and the Bucks have uh, had here, of course, that's going to inspire some resentment. And, you know, people aren't going to go out of their way to celebrate him, especially if he's kind of snubbed all of his peers, you know, pretty much along the way. The only people I can ever really remember even interacting with Giannis at like all-star games would be Jokic or Steph Curry, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure those guys are probably happy for him somewhere. But, um, you know, that's the nice part about being an introvert. Giannis is going to be the last person to care if LeBron happens to tweet about him or if CJ McCollum is saying, hey, you know, Chris Middleton should be the finals MVP or any of that. He's not motivated by that. He just does not care. He's, he's internally motivated, not externally motivated. And yeah. so um, I think that that, you know, kind of furthers this entire cycle because he just stays out of all of it because he just honestly does not care nearly as much as a lot of his colleagues. He was never part of the cool kids club. So why does he care what the cool kids have to say? Yes, I, I there's no question that he's not part of the cool kid club um, and he's not part of the like super friends with LeBron and whoever else. And that's fine uh, because what I would say in response to this more than anything else is that there are cool players throughout the league. There are cool people throughout the NBA universe. But when you get down to the superstar class, there aren't that many like legitimately cool guys. And so the people who show Giannis love, I think Steph has shown Giannis love repeatedly over the years. Kevin Durant has shown Giannis love repeatedly over the years. And that's sort of it. And that's sort of fine. Because if Harden and LeBron and Westbrook and a couple of the other guys at the top, top, top of the league don't really rock with Giannis, in some ways that's a compliment. And so I just wouldn't worry about it. I saw a lot of people kind of complaining about this over the last week or so and saying it it reflects like a weird NBA culture. 
All of which is sort of true, but ultimately meaningless because again, Giannis coming out of these finals is probably gonna be the face of the league and that's all that really matters. Uh, and so, yeah, I would take it as a compliment and, and, and not waste your energy thinking about why exactly like LeBron James isn't tweeting about Giannis. Although he did tweet about Giannis in game six. So there's that. Yeah. I mean, he also signed his Jersey for Booker once that series was over too. I mean, that's a, you know, a classic role with the winners. <laughs> Questionable judgment from LeBron. No, no, it's, no, it's a classic role with the winners move from LeBron. You know, he, he always, he, in his own way, LeBron's kind of a win connoisseur. Um, you know, he just kind of oh, yeah. waits for the re- he waits for the results to come in first. You know, Yankees fan and and so forth. Um, I also think part of it is that Giannis's story is basically impossible. He was a malnourished teenager in Greece, right? Um, completely off the map, sharing shoes with his brothers for games. Uh, you know, taking all these buses to get to the gym, selling trinkets in the streets. And when he shows up, as they showed on the broadcast tonight, I mean, he has put on like 65 pounds of muscle over the last eight years. Those kinds of transformations don't happen often. And if you're a highly competitive player in the NBA and you're seeing Giannis as one of your peers, you remember what he was when he showed up, right? He is this mm-hmm. little scrawny kid who couldn't do anything, couldn't shoot, couldn't guard anyone. And that first impression is going to stick with you. And you're always going to think like, wow, did this guy really just get that much better? And as he's making that incremental progress, because it's happening so consistently year after year after year, you're more likely to be stuck in your first impression mode and just be like, this guy can never do this. Like he's not going to really be able to uh, get over the hump. And as we've admitted as some of his biggest supporters, we had our doubts a lot, you know, over the last couple of years. There was many moments where it didn't look like Giannis was going to be able to to take that next step to kind of break through that wall. And so I could understand why his, uh, you know, his colleagues would say, well, um, you know, I've always been better at than Giannis at X, Y, and Z. So therefore, he's not going to be able to go someplace that I've never gone before. And I actually think Giannis's beef with Harden is kind of instructive here, right? Because when they were first getting after it, Giannis's take was Harden doesn't play defense. Harden dominates the ball too much. Harden's take on Giannis was all he does is dunk. He's just this physical marvel. You know, he's not truly a skilled uh, player. He was pretty much in the no bag Twitter camp, right? Uh-huh. Um what we've seen play out over the last couple of years completely validated Giannis's approach to basketball. Um, in the interim, Harden went and joined a super team. They were in a position where they really should have won that series had they been healthy and all of this would have been moot, but they didn't. And I can just guarantee you that there's no one who's feeling this particular championship harder, uh, other than Sixers fans, than James Harden, right? Because everything that he was trying to use as ammunition against Giannis just got shoved back in his face. And the Giannis way worked and his way didn't. I also just think uh, culturally, there's a certain set of superstars who come up together and travel the same AAU circuits and hang out in the same places in the off season and are just friends on those terms. And Giannis has just never been part of that scene in the same way that Steph hasn't really been part of that scene. So he just well, doesn't I mean. really have those relationships. Not only was he not like a top 10 draft pick, he wasn't a top 10, you know, member of their sixth grade class, right? You know, he wasn't going exactly. to the uh, the Las Vegas AAU tournaments. He came from absolutely nowhere. 
And, you know, Jokic deals with some of the same stuff, right? I mean, I don't know if you want to call it xenophobia. I mean, that feels like a very strong word, but it's a kind of a lack of familiarity, right? Like if you don't, you know, know who this guy is, and I think Dirk dealt with it as well. Um, you know, he's not part of the same circuits. He shows up and then these guys are taking massive leaps during the course of their NBA career, pushing back on your first impressions of who they were as players. And in some cases, lapping you in terms of accomplishments. I can see why guys would be hesitant to give credit. And again, also very liable to feel, uh, you know, jealous or quote unquote, some type of way. About it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's diagnosed as xenophobia pretty frequently. And I don't think that's correct because again, it happens to guys like Steph just the same, but um, yeah, there's a lot there. And bottom line is I, the fact that they don't really rock with Giannis doesn't make me like Giannis any less and makes me like him a little bit more. You mentioned his story even within the NBA, I mean, the Bucks were like threatening to move to Seattle when he arrived as a rookie and he generated enough buzz around that team over his first few seasons in Milwaukee. They were able to get a stadium built and then he they stay in Milwaukee. Then he stays in Milwaukee during a couple years where literally every other superstar was switching teams and to stay in Milwaukee and then win a title it's just wild. Like you mentioned Mike at the top. You compared Giannis to Mike and LeBron. And I sort of snickered and did a double take. This is the first few minutes of the podcast. Uh, I don't think he is in Jordan territory, nor does he have any chance of getting to Jordan territory. But the parallels that make sense to me, if we're talking Giannis and Jordan, is number one, the mentality. And number two, the story is so perfect that if you just looked at it, looked at it like story blocked on paper, you would think this is all fake. Like this, and this is too kind of schmaltzy to be believable. A hundred percent. I mean, Jason Kidd is Doug Collins, right? Chris Middleton is Scottie Pippen. Pat Connaughton is uh, John Paxson. Bobby Portis, okay, I'm not really going to give him Rodman. Um, right? Hey, there's, Bobby there's Portis a, is pretty awesome. Bobby, dude, he Bobby, showed Bobby. Up. Yeah, Bobby, man. Bobby showed up big time for them. Um, no, I mean, there's a lot of parallels you can draw in terms of the rise up the mountain. I would say, you know, Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors were their version of the bad boy Pistons. You know, they're not like overly physical, but that was kind of a, you know, a, a stumbling block for them to run into. And that kind of, you know, first hardened Giannis and gave him a taste of what life was like losing. I mean, early in his career, how bad the Bucks were and how bad the, the Bulls were early in Jordan's career, the complete turnaround of a franchise that had really never done anything. Um, I mean, there's definitely some parallels in terms of the story. And, um, you and know, it's just I think- so perfect that it feels fake. <laughs> like in the same way that Jordan, one of the reasons he's always going to be the greatest of all time is because there's a mystique and a mythology to the greatest of all time in anything and Jordan's is just unmatched and unmatchable at this point because nobody's going to come through and just dominate the way he did and be completely invincible on the final stage the way he was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, exactly. Like Giannis has to do this five more times to match six and zero. Oh. You know, it's like yeah. good luck. But, <laughs> like, it um, is what it is. But he's no. he, he's trending in the right direction uh, historically. 
No, he's got a lot of time left to rack up accomplishments, too. I mean, I wrote today, he's officially a Hall of Famer as of today. He's got a title, a finals MVP, two MVPs. He's certified. He's done. Like, he could retire today and be a Hall of Famer. And he's 26. He's got another 10 years of basketball to play if he wants. You're talking about the transformation of Milwaukee as well. Not only did they build the new stadium, the franchise value has more than tripled um, since the ownership group uh, took over. So, I mean, they went from like $400 million to like almost $1.5 billion, something like that, which is a pretty wild way to quantify Giannis's impact. And the Bucks officials are like, I mean, that's just the, the value of the organization. If you talk about property value in the city, you talk about all these other things um, in terms of, you know, 65,000 people being outside the arena to watch game six, which is just absolutely insane. Yep. Um, you know, the, the, the finances go well beyond uh, $1 billion in terms of his overall impact. That's wild. I mean, that's sort of like KD early OKC type impact where they were giving, you know, Durant credit for all these skyscrapers popping up in downtown Oklahoma City because of uh, the influence of that organization there. Giannis has got a, a lot of that going on in Milwaukee, too. It's very cool. Their fan base deserves it, too, man. I mean, um, we've interacted with a number of their fans uh, because of the Giannis stuff. I would say, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. I don't know if you have a whole shout out list of guys you want to name <laughs> drop here. Shout you out to Ben do. Thompson. Ben Thompson and Frank Madden are my OG Bucks fans that I've been talking to about Giannis and venting to about the Bucks for like six years now. So shout out to those guys. They're both in Milwaukee yeah. tonight. And there's absolutely no reason to be a Bucks fan 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago, whenever those guys first became fans. I mean, there was so many really, 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 you know, dark years. I mean, the fact that Brandon Jennings became a cult hero because he had one really good game and one bad prediction tells you everything you need to know about their history, right? You go to their the Pfizer forum. Those rafters are awful empty. Trust me, Andrew. They're not going to have any problem finding space for that <laughs> 2021 uh, title banner. There's going to be a lot of room up there, right? And so I think for the the long-suffering fans, and you feel good for them too because uh, like this was an organization that easily could have moved, right? It easily could have been renamed. It easily could have just dropped off the face of the planet. Nobody would have known. They were a punchline for years and years and years. They were a punchline during Giannis's first couple of seasons in the league, and these guys turned it around, and, and the fans uh, very well earned. And a number of those fans, by the way, had to fight for like, you know, the $250 million or whatever it was in public financing to kind of help get that building uh, built. And so for basketball fans who like stuck their neck out and did that, it's, uh, you know, crummy that that's how things have to get done. You know, in an ideal yeah. world, billionaires would just kind of construct their own palaces and, you know, make the, the reap the rewards from it. Uh, but for people who got active in that way, I'm sure they're feeling an extra degree of satisfaction as well. Well, yeah, I mean, we are happy for the Bucks fans, the long suffering Bucks fans. But at the same time, I also want to say, fuck all you people, because nothing this cool will ever happen to my Wizards and most other teams around the NBA. I think nobody is going to have a player as cool as Giannis. Nobody is going to experience a title quite this thrilling and um that was my sentiment that i expressed to ben dobson when i was texting him after the game i said i hope one day this that anything like this happens to the wizards but i don't think it will and then i realized well, it was kind of a depressing post-title text message to send but yeah no, that's where i, I, I am. think 
I think he'll take those blue bubbles as a sweeter taste than champagne bubbles, honestly. I mean, you know, like you're you're basically kissing the ring on that one. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Anyways, uh, Stavros says, is it fair to say that Pat Riley's adage, no rebounds, no rings, is truer now more than ever? First of all, it's a great adage. No rebounds, no rings. Ben, can we put that on a T-shirt or do you think Pat Riley has trademarked it? Well, he trademarked three Pete. Remember that, um, right? So he he might have that slogan. I, I'd I'd stay away. You know, I'll, I'll look into it as as counsel to the goat. I'll look into it. Don't worry about yeah, it. We we look forward to you never getting back to us on that <laughs> one. <laughs> Just like you never get back to us on any of the things that you look into. Um, this was kind of a throwback series in some ways. I mean, the mid range obviously was a major talking point uh, throughout this postseason, but especially in the finals, both ways. Yeah. And as much as you want to try to, you know, make excuses for your, you know, life two guard over there in Phoenix, I mean, rebounding did wind oh up really mattering. <laughs> and Milwaukee's when they went big, you know, when when their big lineups were on the court. You know, I agree with what you said earlier. They were better when they were small. Um, I mean, and Giannis just tore apart eight one on one in those in those matchups with the extra space. Yeah. But you know, Lopez had some bully ball moments. Portis had some bully ball moments, and the second chance opportunities for Milwaukee from everybody they got from so Con- many second chances. Correct. It was wild. From- from Connaughton on up, um, you know, doing that work, Holiday as well, uh, Middleton. I mean, all those guys were just fighting really hard. Um, I do think rebounding was kind of back in this series, and it hasn't been all that important, relatively speaking, compared to some other stuff here over the last five years, but it certainly was in this matchup, in part because it was just a kind of a, a fundamental flaw of Phoenix's roster. I mean, exactly. Uh, th- they've got versatility at that three and four spot, but they didn't have the size and the bulk, you know. I mean, Bridges and, and Crowder, that was one reason why we said even before the playoffs, like they might struggle against, you know, the Lakers matchups with AD and LeBron just because of how the the three and four are built, mm-hmm. um, you know, for Phoenix's side. And it did wind up finally coming back to bite them like two months later. Yeah. I, I mean, Jay Crowder was the second best rebounder on the team and on the floor at almost any time. Uh, I mean, Aiden was, was solid and Aiden did do a really good job for most of this series trying to contain Giannis and trying to be there on the boards. Um, Game six was a rough night for him. I mean, he was sort of in hell for most of that game, but uh, Phoenix just didn't have the size, and it was like a structural advantage for the Bucs as this series wore on. So no rebounds, no rings. Uh, I take that to heart. I take everything Pat Riley says to heart. Next question, Javier says... Is Coach Bud still getting fired even after a championship? What kind of precedent would that set for all coaches around the league? Ben, what do you think? Are we still firing Coach Bud as I said the Bucks needed to do even if they won the Brooklyn series? Um, I, my thoughts have changed slightly. Where do you come down? Well, how can they change slightly? I mean, you're going to slightly fire him? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. There's either a pink slip or there's no pink slip. Hold on. My thoughts after the Brooklyn series were the Bucs are probably going to win the title, but God, they need to fire Bud even if they win the title. Now it's not, holy shit, they need to fire Mike Budenholzer. It's... 
It's still a conversation, but I wouldn't do it. And I do think that he did a really good job. I thought he outcoached Monty Williams in this series. He took away a lot of what the Suns did well offensively. It's still a bit of a roller coaster with his substitution patterns sometimes. I still am not positive that I want to entrust Giannis's prime to Coach Bud, and God knows how much job security this title will buy him. But uh, I think, to, to Javier's point, I, I'm not sure. Like People have to remember that this is like a real office, and there are real humans that show up to work every day. And if you fire somebody after like everybody triumphs together, it just doesn't really work in real life. So uh, Coach Bud's job is is safe. I thought as soon as they beat Brooklyn, because um, I never really thought they were threatened that much by Atlanta, even though they made that series harder than they needed it to be. I thought as soon as they beat Brooklyn, he was basically safe. Like he was going to be okay for next year, no matter what. Um, yeah, newsflash, he's not going to get fired after this. Uh, you know, I think that... <laughs> Their apologies are kind of owed to Coach Bud in a lot of ways. Not even kind of. They are. I mean, I think that at the same time, and I give him credit, he has acknowledged his own growth. He did make some major changes in terms of his approach from last year's postseason to this season. Um, I would say the the minutes thing um, was absolutely the biggest adjustment, the most important one that he did. I think he got a, a little bit more flexible in terms of when to play big versus when to play small and not being so stuck up on, you know, one vision of how he wanted to do it. Um, I also think that their offseason, by consolidating talent and drastically improving from Eric Bledsoe to Holiday, but sacrificing the depth, it actually worked out to Bud's benefit because he had fewer options he could go to, right? So, like, yeah. he didn't have a, you know, the, he had to have a tight rotation because he didn't have really anybody who could play when you're trying to throw Jeff Teague out there. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, still tried to play Jeff Teague throughout the finals, but, but beyond that, but, his hands were tied. But not to the point of their detriment, really, as the finals unfolded, right? Early, the first couple of games in the finals, there was a lot of stuff to question from Coach, but I thought the last three or four games, like, pretty spotless, you know, or, or pretty close to it. And, you know, a lot of it, credit goes to the players. I mean, when those guys, the, the three big players are all playing really well simultaneously, coaching becomes an awful lot easier, right? And when Chris Middleton's hitting every single clutch shot and you don't have anybody nitpicking your clutch offense because you're just scoring on every single possession, you know, Bud winds up looking like a genius too. But um, I do think that, uh, you know, he was set up to be the fall guy this season if they didn't win the title and he mm -hmm. should relish this championship because um he does have you know amazing job security and oh you know and give he a did a great job he did he outcoached monty williams you know that that monty williams quote everything that you want is on the other side of hard i didn't know Giannis's nickname was hard uh because <laughs> they, they never got to the other side of that hey, uh, hey hey it's a great quote it's a quote that i'm gonna take with me as we leave the finals that struck a chord with me more so than Giannis's soliloquy on ego and pride and whatever and staying in the moment that to me everybody was so impressed with that that felt like Sort of boilerplate, like no, self-care no, type shit. I don't know. That it's was not genius. Really... No, it went over your head. I mean, a lot of it times it could I'll have drop... been on an Instagram yeah. account. Let's put it that no. way. 
Well, I think I just flew over your head was the problem. I mean, a lot of times I drop I drop jewels on here that go flying by you, and then three Constantly, years later you come, yeah, and then three years later you come back and quote them back to me, you know, to sound smart. And this is going to be one of those situations where you're just like, yeah, you know, in 2024 you're going to say I just stayed in the moment. Okay, no. that's how I stay humble. <laughs> yeah, and I don't talk about the past. I'm not here to talk about my Buck Suns pick in 2021 because that's my ego talking. If I'm talking about that pick. No, it's it's all right. You know, you've brought it up four times now, um, <laughs> but rightfully so. It was a great pick. I certainly didn't see it coming. Can um, I just explain one thing to you? So oh, the reason yeah, I sure. the reason I'm talking about uh, Coach Bud and the Bucks as a workplace where humans actually show up to work every day is because I keep seeing Sixers fans float the idea that Daryl Morey doesn't have to trade Ben Simmons this offseason and he's not going to just take a bad deal for the sake of moving Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons could be back at opening day and whatever. And I was explaining to someone, there's no way in hell that Ben Simmons is going to be on the Sixers next year because these are all humans who are so sick of each other Joel Embiid literally threw Simmons under the bus, not literally, but figuratively threw him under the bus after that Hawks collapse. And uh, there's just no way that those guys are going to be able to stand each other for even another three months as Maury sort of waits out the trade market. And it's just something that I think when people are arguing about basketball on the internet, sometimes we forget that, you know, these are real humans. Yeah, I would say that you forgot Bud was a real human when you were trying to fire him during this postseason run, for sure. I think your point is very well taken on Ben Simmons. I just think it's a fascinating contrast. I'm going to read you his Instagram post today, um, and then I'm going to read you Draymond Green's reply. Ben Simmons writes, it's his birthday, by the way. Uh, Okay. Reflecting back, I've experienced some amazing highs, and with that, some of the lowest lows. Life's a journey. I'll always remain relentless and remain human through it all. Here's to my 25th year, hashtag relentless pursuit, doing what I love on my birthday, I'm blessed. And there's a picture of him. Um, I mean, I guess he's working out. He's in a gym. He's got a basketball in his hands. I'm not okay. sure he's sweating. He's not, I'm not sure he's sweating, but he's in the gym. <laughs> no, that's good because somebody posted a picture of him and the caption was Ben Simmons in the lab on his birthday. But the actual picture was Ben Simmons getting a massage. Uh, And so I sort of did a double take at that. But I'm glad to hear that he was actually like getting shots up on his birthday. Again, he's not shooting. He's standing with the basketball. Okay, he had a basketball (laughs) on his person. Okay, congrats, Ben Simmons. What did Draymond say? Draymond says, man, stop letting these people get in your head, young king. Enjoy your birthday basketball ain't got nothing to do with it so don't let them intertwine life and basketball for you enjoy your life and enjoy hoop you've earned both you don't owe anybody anything you have earned everything you have happy born day brother so i just think like that contrast to compared to Giannis scoring 50 in a closeout game do you remember when I lectured you about never having Giannis and Ben Simmons in the same sentence ever again? This was like a month ago. I got really heated because you tried yeah. to do that. And you weren't comparing the two, but you were glancingly comparing them, and I flipped out. This is the ultimate proof positive of that moment. There is no comparison. Yeah. Ben Simmons turns 25, and he has to get the emotional speech 
from Draymond Green, who's probably working some angle to try to trade for Simmons, right? And meanwhile, Giannis, age 26, is being tossed up in the conversations among the all-time greats. Yes, and for the record, I was comparing Giannis and Simmons to elevate Giannis and celebrate his approach to the game. But you're right that even that, it's just like not appropriate anymore. Just do not put their two names in the same sentence. That's the thing. It's like you're saying, oh, Nike, they definitely have better basketball shoes than Puma. What? Just say Nike's awesome. Don't (laughs) don't bring Puma into this. What are you doing? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, And Simmons is another great example of a member of the NBA Super Friends who doesn't rock with Giannis. And ultimately, that's a compliment to Giannis. Uh, To close it out toward the end here, so we should talk about Chris Paul. We got a long email from Will about Booker. He's trying to coin the term influencers, influencer. It's like, it's a play on influencer that has now been coined to denotes someone who not only does not influence wins, but actively hurts their team by putting their imprint on the game the way Booker did in games four and five. Do you have any comment on the attempt to invent a new term in parallel to influencer? I can't even pronounce the word that he's written in the email. No, I just think leave the marketing and and the branding stuff to me. Uh, (laughs) this This was a confusing one. Um, it's a valiant attempt. We appreciate the effort for sure. I you know, and it's I think it came from the goat Discord, you know. So I appreciate that they're in the lab working probably on their birthdays too. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I would I would just say the truth's always somewhere in the middle. I think people did overreact too much to the stagnation that came about in Booker's best nights. And, they, and there was like this big pushback after months of just lavishing praise on Booker. And I just don't think he was as good as he was getting credit for consistently in terms of overall impact during Phoenix's successes. And mm-hmm. I don't think he's the scapegoat for the losses. I think that you're right to point to Monty Williams getting out coached. I think you're right to point to saying, hey, guess what? Aiton got destroyed. And finally, when push came to shove, Aiton, who had an awesome postseason right up until the moment you said you would take him over Jalen Brown then he immediately <laughs> collapsed um and then also Chris Paul I mean to me that was that number one on the blame list for me was Chris Paul and people might be surprised by that uh but I don't feel the need to try to coin a phrase to say you know Booker Ball ruined it for Phoenix he's a losing player I don't think that's true I just don't think he's driving wins nearly as much as his fans who would love to compare him to Kobe Bryant seem to believe. And I actually want to give Booker a big time shout out for going on the jump and saying, don't compare me to Kobe Bryant. He's a hundred percent right. And, uh, you know, a lot of people violated that principle and they owe everyone else apologies. The culture and conversation around Booker, I understand why some people find that grating, but if you actually listen to what Booker says in interviews, he is very much about the right things. And plays winning basketball, his strengths are different than some of the other guys. Like, he's not LeBron. He's not Giannis. Um, But he does care about the right shit, and he will get better at the end of all this. And he he just wasn't quite ready to deliver when it mattered for Phoenix in the finals. (laughs) He delivered round after round after round for them, and uh, I thought it was ultimately 
a great playoff run for him. But Wait, so I'm saying they're not going to be back with this group if Chris isn't the same guy. Are you telling me you expect to see the Suns in the finals in the next three to four years? Not necessarily in the finals. In the next oh. three to four years, I think it's oh. on the table. I mean, they're going to need mm. help. Like we saw mm. without oh. Oh, with okay. without or without Chris Paul playing at an elite level, it was like Booker and Jay Crowder and Mikhail Bridges would get hot every now and then. But they're going to need some more. And whether that's Chris Paul is a really interesting question because I think Phoenix would have to give him three years and $100 million if they want to keep him. And um, that's kind of a crazy deal, but... Aren't they in the Coach Bud spot where they can't leave him because these are real humans who you've got to take care of? I mean, if they were turned their back on Chris Paul after this run, um, that would be even more ruthless than what I'm suggesting Steve Ballmer should consider with Kawhi Leonard. And I don't think that they can do that. And um, I don't think Chris Paul can replicate the season that he had. I don't think... And I do think he was the windfluencer on this year's group. I don't see them back in the finals in the next three years. Yeah, um, I mean, they're going to have to go out and prove themselves all over again because nobody's going to take this run seriously because of the guys who were out elsewhere in the West, and it is what it is. I mean, they still were incredibly impressive. I would keep Chris, although I say that with a caveat that like a week or two ago, the thought of Chris Paul kind of growing old as these young guys grew up, I looked at that as like a really compelling nucleus and Chris Paul just didn't have the extra gear over the last week. And some of it seemed to be mental. Some of it was probably physical because he was dealing with much better guards on the Bucks side. And I have to apologize because on the last podcast, I pushed back pretty strong as you were trying to put it on Chris Paul and say, this is a continuation of his playoff story, this, that, and the other thing. And the reason I objected is because I don't think he's been like a choker throughout his playoff history. But at the same time, I forgot that ultimately, like Chris Paul's playoff story is about like the mythology of failure. And to that end, like this this playoff series and giving up the 2-0 lead and some of the weirdness we saw from Paul down the stretch is very much in keeping with what we've seen. And uh, I just wasn't wow. I wasn't so fully prepared to confront that reality when we last recorded the podcast. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you were just in denial, but now you've completely come around to what I was saying. Boy, that is tough. That is I hard. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I wanted better for Chris Paul. As much as you and I have been bickering about who's the best player on the Suns, I am ultimately, like when Chris Paul retires, I'll be pretty emotional about it. And it just sucks that he didn't get this title. Hey, while we're on this downer note, I'm going to ask you a question. You can answer this in as much you know length or detail as you want. Um, we've been gushing now for 79 minutes about Giannis <laughs> and, and the Bucks. Um, we're nitpicking Phoenix's side of this thing and, and he's saying, hey, they have to go out and prove themselves again. Did the Bucks escape the asterisk talk when you're saying 72-game season, compressed schedule, COVID absences galore, postponed games early on? You know, Adam Silver's there handing out the trophies saying, hey, we did it. You know, we ground a champion. Like, he's almost surprised that it actually worked. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the first round Miami Heat on the super short turnaround, right? 
You've got the second round Brooklyn Nets with the injury issues. You've got Trey Young getting injured in the third round, DeAndre Hunter getting injured, um, among other issues for the Hawks. And then in the finals, um, you know, Chris Paul potentially injured. We don't really know what was going on there, but certainly not himself. Will the Bucks escape the asterisk talk? Did Giannis's kind of crowning achievement outweigh the nitpicking, or are we going to be in for a round of, well, they were champions in 2021, but as we go forward? Um, great question. I think there are still going to be, I mean, the challenge in having any of these discussions is anybody can cherry pick dumb assholes on the internet who have bad opinions and then treat those opinions as more widespread and try to sort of rebut those arguments. I, I don't think anybody who actually watched these games is going to talk about the Bucks as anything less than a legitimate deserving champion, in part because of how dominant Giannis was. It feels like we just watched a, a coronation and or a passing of the torch between eras and all of it was really special. So I think by and large, you're gonna have to work really hard to find basketball fans who are no doubt out there uh, and online and tweeting as we record this. But I think most people are just gonna say, that was really cool. This Bucks team was really cool. And it's not just Giannis, even the role players, PJ Tucker, Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton, like watching that team step up and weather adversity round after round after round was so cool that um, anybody who's focusing on like, well, the heat were on a short turnaround like that to me just like badly misses the point of not only this conversation, but also just like sports in general. That's well said. I mean, I do think it's probably going to take a while for the dust to settle. It usually does. I mean, the only reason why I asked the question is because of the sheer quantity of high-profile players who did get injured. I mean, AD, Kawhi, James Harden, Kyrie, Trey Young. I mean, that's a pretty long list of of guys, right? I do think that the Bucks will be pretty well insulated from this stuff, though, because of Giannis's injury how well they held together after that injury, and then how ridiculously well he came back after the injury. It just adds this superhuman element to what uh, he did and to what they did. And the fact that he was able to kind of push through it and peak at the very ending, I do think that part is going to stick with people. And Mm -hmm. so even though this wasn't like the most glamorous finals matchup and people will kind of look back in the history books to be like Milwaukee versus Phoenix, like what the heck happened there? I do think that because Giannis has a chance to be a top 10 or 15 all-time player, uh, because this was such a perfect storybook way to crown it, um, as you were laying out very well earlier, that narrative will carry the day over the, well, there was an awful lot of extenuating circumstances uh, involved with their title uh, push, right? And far more than in a normal year. And I say that as somebody who still believes you know, with full respect to the Milwaukee Bucks, if Harden doesn't get injured or Kyrie doesn't get injured, they lose that second round series. I believe that 100%. I will always believe that. But that yeah. almost adds to the lore to it a little bit, right? It's like, look, they were they were shaky in a lot of spots along the way, and they always kept it together, and Giannis pulled them through at the end. So you can believe that, but do you also acknowledge that it's not a foregone conclusion that they lose that second round series? No, I mean, I think that they were in such control. They had no answer for Kyrie, and it ultimately came down to two inches of KD's foot, 
with Harden, you know, being at 10% or 20% or whatever you want to say, and no Kyrie for half the series. Personally, I believe it's a foregone conclusion. Brooklyn would have won that series had they kept their health. Okay. Um, because, I mean, to me, the Bucks were winning game four when Kyrie went out. Kyrie going out obviously removed some firepower. But at the same time, Brooklyn was a better defensive team with Kyrie out. There's one less weak link for the Bucks to attack. And, um, I mean, I like... If they win game four, then the series can unfold like exactly the same way it did, where the Brooklyn wins game five, Milwaukee wins game six at home, and then it comes down to game seven. I think losing I mean, Kyrie... Like, I mean, like being so reliant on Joe Harris and Jeff Green in these yeah. huge moments and like having no... And like putting it all on Kevin Durant and having James Harden play 46 minutes when he's injured. I mean, God, Brooklyn, yeah. they just... You know, it was a, a wild and wacky series. And they I really still wish won it. Harden had been healthy because him playing that poorly healthy would have been so <laughs> much fun. Um, right, but they would have won the series. Like they didn't need that much more from Harden. Right? I, I That's think the thing. Wh- where I come down is that I give the edge to Brooklyn in Game Seven. I do think Milwaukee wins Game Four and wins Game Six, and it comes down to seven. And I give Brooklyn the edge in large part because like. Milwaukee's offense died for several minutes at a time, a couple different times during game seven. And they were able to survive because it was like Joe Harris breaking jumper after jumper oh and with Kyrie God, yeah. out there. Maybe it's different, but. Well, um, my big takeaway here is that this conversation is like the secondary conversation rather than the main conversation. Yeah. Had the, the Giannis story not unfolded the same way here over the last three weeks, maybe people would be more hung up on that particular argument of, okay, you know, was Brooklyn really the deserving champ or, or something along those lines, similar to how we, we said, look, Golden State, they win the 2019 title if Katie doesn't get hurt, right? There's, there's no question in my mind they're going to beat Toronto in that situation. And I think that in the 2019 case, that still remains a big part of that narrative. And I think because Giannis sort of overrode it uh, here over the last couple of weeks, Milwaukee, I believe, will escape uh, some of that stuff as we go forward. But that remains to be seen. And that's a collective mass basketball fan decision. That's not just like a one man's perspective. That's how I view it. And it sounds to me like you're even less open to that argument because you think uh, <laughs> yeah, Milwaukee, <fuck> that. <laughs> Milwaukee had a chance anyways, right? Uh, yeah. And at the same time, I would also say that this finals was so great that I think a lot of basketball fans are going to say, well, the first couple rounds were a complete mess, but it came together at the end. And that was a great finals and let's all move on and get healthy for 2022 and um on that note let's close it out with an appreciation for buck sons one last time and Giannis, look you and i during the hawk series we threatened a 90 minute i think we threatened like a three-hour podcast about Giannis if they actually closed out with a title um, we got close on this episode. We kept it together and um, I kept it reasonably coherent, even though it's now like past 2 a.m. on the East Coast. So with that, let's come back later this week. I want to talk more. First of all, I want to talk about hoopers versus basketball players. We didn't get to that. I want to hear more about your experience in Japan And we got to talk Team USA and draft. So a lot on the agenda for later in the week.
That sounds great. Through the magic of teleportation, we're gonna try to attach a clip from 2017, the original Giannis Vision Quest clip. If it works, it's gonna be playing right after the theme song, so people enjoy that. If it doesn't, Lou's gonna cut this out. Nobody will ever know. <laughs> I haven't heard it since I was recording the podcast with you however many years ago, so I look forward to listening myself. All right, Andrew, that sounds great. Uh, we'll double back later this week with a with a very deep agenda, frankly. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Until then, guys, email us, greatestofalltalk at gmail.com, greatestofalltalk at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram from Tokyo at ben.golver. I'm on Twitter at ben.golver. Andrew's on social media, but don't even worry about it. Do follow our official at Pod Twitter account. He makes me laugh on there every once in a while. Okay, Andrew, until later this week, I will talk to you. Take it easy, man. Look, he's probably right. By the end of the season, Giannis will have outperformed his top 100 ranking for two years in a row. But, Andrew, do you remember when I went to San Antonio uh, and I had my kind of awakening, you know, and, and you, you thought I was, like, brainwashed and I came back like I had yes. been on, you know, some sort of a, a deep mental dive? Well, I had another one of those this weekend. I'm not even kidding. And I need you to stick with me because – this was a very convoluted, very extended Giannis vision quest. Uh-huh. So I was in I was in Michigan uh, at my favorite hotel in the world. It's called the Dearborn Inn. Now Dearborn is a suburb of Detroit. It's very famous within the auto industry. And I was sitting in the hotel uh, bar watching Cavaliers, Bucks, and Giannis is just doing all these amazing things. And like I'm looking around me. And the whole hotel bar is like a tribute to innovation. Like they have all these posters of like the early cars from like the 1920s and 30s. And, uh, you know, down the road, there's this place, Greenfield Village, where they have like a model replica of Thomas Edison's house, right? And it's all about innovation. That really is the theme of Dearborn. And here I am watching Giannis score essentially 100% of his points within like a three-foot radius of the rim, while the entire rest of the NBA is completely obsessed with three-pointers. And I'm just thinking like, and I'm in this hotel, which is sort of kept up uh, as if it, you know, as if it was like a, uh, a period piece. Yeah. Uh, it, the hotel was originally made as uh, the place for people who were flying into Henry Ford's private airport to kind of like stay overnight. It was the first hotel that got indoor air conditioning. So they've tried to keep it up all nice. Right. So I'm like picturing myself trying to, in this time machine, show Giannis to like George Mike, you know, and like introduce these guys to each other. So like I was having this really trippy, like time space continuum thing where like there is just nothing like Giannis, even in the NBA right now, he's sort of like Westbrook, except like super duper long. He's sort of like half Westbrook, half Durant in a way. And here he is like trying to take down LeBron, giving it all he has. Right. So I'm having this, that was like my first thought of like, here is Giannis, the innovator, as I'm saying in Dearborn. Then I got hit with a cross current, okay? Because Dearborn also randomly became this huge flashpoint in the 2016 election because it's home to a ton of uh, immigrants and Muslim immigrants, like Iraqis, uh, yes. Lebanese people. There's all these, these halal restaurants everywhere, right? And so... Totally. After I had my amazing halal dinner a few hours earlier, I started to kind of contemplate this. And like Giannis is the ultimate melting pot story. Everyone loves Giannis because of his amazing upbringing, but he's like finally delivering on it in full force. I mean, this guy legitimately will most likely retire as the greatest foreign born basketball player ever. 
He's got a chance, you know, like Kevin Durant said, probably not going to be the greatest, but he, this guy could be a top 10, 15 player uh, of all time. He's doing this right in the middle of like the most tense political atmosphere ever. So I was got hit with this cross current of like Giannis as this representative of the melting pot and like what this could look like in five years if he does achieve like true fame, like LeBron level fame, if he becomes the best player in the league and he yep. extends that for multiple years. Like this guy is going to be, I mean, it was sort of like the world is flat, like not Kyrie Irving's version, like Thomas Friedman's version, where like <laughs> globalization has just taken over. So this this whole mental strain is going on, right? But then I get hit with the third cross current because I realize I'm hiding in the corner of the bar and I had to ask them to turn on the basketball game. And uh -huh. the rest of the bar is all gray haired old, you know, white guys, let's just be honest, watching baseball. And they're watching baseball for some reason while Giannis is over here. Uh, what is wrong sort with of these people? Basically changing the outlook of sports forever, right? Right. So, changing, like, here's the, the world. Global, globalization so has come and is realized. But, like, it was just this perfect uh, contrast between the past of, like, the old way of doing things, like the Model T and these old guys watching baseball and the future, like Giannis, this great globalized sensation carrying us forward as the greatest player uh, to grace the hardwood, you know, in about two years, I think he's going to be at that level. So my mind was just completely on tilt. And my big takeaway from this entire uh, dream, you know, this entire vision quest was just yep. that Giannis is not just an MVP candidate. Giannis really is most likely our future overlord. I mean, we need to be starting to think of the NBA right, in terms sorry. of, no, I'm serious. Ser I'm serious. No, I'm serious. Fast forward to 2020 or 2021. And we've said for years, LeBron's going to pass the baton to Giannis, but really think through what that's going to mean. If he's the best player in the league, it changes everything. I mean, his story, his background, what it could mean politically, what happens if he discovers his voice, you know, if he's not just the kid who's, kind of laughing and joking about smoothies, but if he decides to be really proactive in politics Absolutely. like LeBron and, and Chris Paul and all these other guys could be, I'm not sure we're ready for it. I kind of think we're all the old guys at the bar watching baseball and not truly appreciating what Giannis's absolute power could become in the not too distant future. <laughs> this was just, my vision quest. Did you just compare us to the old guys at the bar watching baseball? I think there's a little bit of all those guys in all of us right now because we're all sleeping. We're all okay. sleeping on Giannis's true potential. That's my take. So, you know, Greg, sure, fine. He's four or five in the top 100, but this is about more than the top 100. It pains me to say this, but this is about the future of sports, politics, and the United States of America.